Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. I'm a musician. I can't help it. Um, this thing also moves if you've never been up here. It's a, it's a bit terrifying. Uh, let me pray before we uh, look at this text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, the triune God, has gathered us here today, that you have sought us out, that you have worked in our lives, that you have brought us to this place, and we thank you that your word has power, that when you speak, things come into existence that were not there before. And so we pray that this morning as we hear your word, that you would refresh us, that you would create faith where there is no faith, that you would strengthen the weak, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would encourage the faint, that you would convict us where we need to hear it. And we pray that you would lead us, that we would glorify you and enjoy you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this series in Mark that we're doing, I've called uh, Following Jesus, Knowing and Following Jesus in a Busy World. And I think there's, if there's one thing about our modern world that is just so obvious is that it's very busy. Uh, if you think about it, when you ask the question to someone or when someone asks you, how was your week? Maybe like 10, 15 years ago, everyone would have said, fine, how was yours? Now almost the normal response is busy. Oh, it's busy. It's crazy busy. Uh, I work with students. I'm a campus minister uh, out in Delaware, um, and my students are crazy busy. They're crazy busy. They're stressed out. Uh, they do this to themselves in some ways. They take more classes than they need to. They sign up for more clubs. They fill their lives with things in part because of this thing called FOMO, if you've never heard of that, the fear of missing out. They're afraid of missing out on things, and so they just fill up their lives. And I, th and I think also they wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they weren't just crazy busy all the time. Myself, I also find myself crazy busy, and in a weird way, I kind of like it. 
I don't know if any of you relate to that. There's something about being really busy that in this messed up prideful sort of way makes you feel like I'm doing all this, I must be accomplishing something. Or look at how busy I am. That must mean that I'm important. Uh, Where does that hit you, um, the busy and noisy world that we live in? In the midst of a world like this that's very busy, it's easy to go through life and never slow down and never ask some fundamental questions, two of which would be, who am I and what am I here for? Who am I and what's my mission? What's my life to be about? And the Gospel of Mark, of all the Gospels, is really helpful to us because Mark, you could say, could be considered the busy Gospel. Out of all the Gospels, far more than Matthew, Luke, or John, which have large sections focused just on Jesus' teaching, Mark is sort of Jesus in action, Jesus out there doing stuff. And if you read through the Gospel of Mark, one thing that you'll notice is Mark's use of this word immediately. He uses it all the time. And so this word sort of like keeps the narrative going forward as you see Jesus going from one place to another. Uh, Just to compare, Matthew's gospel, which is longer, uses the word immediately five times. Mark uses it 41 times. So this is the busy gospel. And so what an appropriate place for us to think about what it looks like to know and follow Jesus in a busy world. So as we look at our text this morning, I want us to think about what Jesus teaches us about prayer and mission, because it's in prayer that we come to know who we are, and then it's in mission that we're propelled out into the world. If you were with us last week, uh, we looked at the beginning of Mark's gospel, the, the first opening 15 verses, and this morning we're jumping ahead to verse 35. And I just want to catch you up on what has happened. Jesus called his disciples, and then the rest of the events, uh, basically from verse 21 all the way up to 34, is one day in the life of Jesus. And this is what happened in this insanely busy day. Jesus is in a synagogue, he's teaching on the Sabbath, and then he has this dramatic confrontation with a man who has an unclean demonic spirit. He casts out the spirit, and everyone is amazed at what is happening before them. Then he's rushed off to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she's sick, and he heals her. And then the whole town, it says, is at his door, and they come with problems. They come with needing healing. Some come with demonic spirits, and he is ministering to them. And then we have this text, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Prayer. Jesus prayed. Think about that. Depending on how you understand prayer, that's kind of weird. Especially if you think about prayer as mainly us telling God things that we would like or things that we might want him to do, in a sense a divine version of ordering takeout food. You know, if if that's what prayer is, why would Jesus pray? Because Jesus is God. But Christian prayer, as you read the scriptures more, is is so much more personal and relational. And so in prayer, we're meant to commune with God. We're meant to receive from Him and give to Him. We're meant to speak to Him and to listen. We're meant to cry out to Him and to rest in Him, the one who loves us. 
And Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit and who had known the richness of love and relationship with his Father from all eternity, Jesus prayed. And in a sense, Jesus had to get away and pray. Three times in the Gospel of Mark, this busy Gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus prayed. Right here, in the middle of the Gospel, in chapter 6, after he feeds the 5,000, and then in chapter 14, the night before he goes to the cross, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of these three occurrences, it's a busy, it's a stressful time in Jesus' life, and there's also opposition, either implicit or explicit, to him and his mission. And we can see why Jesus needed to pray from what happens next. So if you look at verses 36 and 37, we read this. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, the word search for, this is an aggressive verb. Um, You could also translate this pursued after or even hunted for. So, they are hunting for Jesus. They are after Jesus, but why? Verse 37, they say this, everyone is looking for you, or you could also translate it, everyone is seeking you which on the first hand sounds really positive, right? Seeking Jesus, that sounds like a good thing. Until you look at how this verb is used throughout the Gospel of Mark, because it's always negative. So for example, everyone is seeking you. Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers will do this in chapter three, when they think that Jesus has gone insane. And the crowd will say to Jesus, Jesus, your family is seeking you. The religious leaders will seek a sign from Jesus, and then they will seek to arrest him, and then they will seek to kill him. And the women at at the end of the gospel come to the tomb of Jesus seeking him because they've not fully understand who he is and what he said would happen, and so they come to this tomb expecting to find Jesus, but he's already been risen. So in Mark, when Mark talks about seeking with reverence to Jesus, it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of who he is and what he's come to do. So we can understand here that what the disciples want is they want Jesus to keep up the momentum, keep going with what has happened the day before. This is a really good thing, Jesus. Let's capitalize on this. Let's keep going. Everyone's excited. Keep doing the miracles. Keep healing people. The disciples, the crowd, the people, they have a plan for Jesus' life. And when I think about my students at the University of Delaware, there's a lot of voices and a lot of people that are seeking them. Now these things that I'm gonna mention, these aren't necessarily bad things, but Greek life, fraternities and sororities, athletic clubs, uh, academic departments, various clubs on campus, they are seeking students And what they are doing, in a sense, is trying to define them. This is who you are. This is what life is about. This is how you should live and how you should act and where you should invest your time and what really matters and counts. Who's seeking you? Friends? Fellow students? Parents? Family? your kids, your work, job, colleagues, who's seeking you? In this world, 
we will be sought after. And what I want you to hear is that no one can tell you who you are, not even you, except the God who knows you and who loves you and who sustains your life. Jesus lived in the noisy and busy world we live in where so many people want a piece of us and they want to use us for their agendas. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in person in our world, had to pray, had to dwell in the love of his Father. And if that's true of him, how much more is it true of us? This text really doesn't lay out how to pray in a sense. It's more a text about why we need it so much. Uh, If you're sitting here and you go, that sounds great, how do I do it? I don't have time to get into it now. I would really encourage you to reach out to someone in this church, uh, one of the elders, someone uh, on the women's shepherding team, someone you know and trust who could help you. We did the Lord's Prayer earlier. We prayed it together. You could take one line of the Lord's Prayer each day, breaks up into about seven one line of the Lord's Prayer each day and meditate on that. What does this mean? And speak to God about it and let that prayer shape your life. Through prayer, Jesus is refreshed in his identity, what he's here to do, his mission. And so let's, let's think about uh, mission now because prayer leads us into mission. Verse 38, and Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is why he came out. This is a really extraordinary statement in a sense because he's not saying, this is why I decided to switch vocational careers from being a carpenter's son to doing ministry. But this is a statement of saying, this is why I'm here in the flesh. This is why I've come out. I've come not to be a miracle worker. I've come not to provide just temporary relief to suffering in this world. I've come to preach, to bring the good news, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom that's not a band-aid to this world but is a complete transformation of it. And in this next section, 40 through 45, we get a really specific example of what this looks like, a picture of Jesus' mission, what he's come to do. And so in verse 40, we read this, uh, and a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. A leper in Jesus' day lived a really horrid existence. Um, This was a contagious chronic skin disease that was both greatly feared and people went to great lengths to, to keep people with such a condition away from the public. And we read about this in the book of Leviticus, for example, where it talks about what's required of lepers. Listen to this from Leviticus 13, verse 45. The leopardous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Do you hear the repetition in there? You are unclean. You can't be in here. You can't participate in the worship of Israel. You can't go to the temple. You can't be with the people. You must live alone. 
Only twice in the Old Testament is someone said to have been healed from leprosy. And in both cases, it was God who did it, which is one reason why the rabbis were known to say that leprosy, to heal a leper, was as difficult as to raise the dead. If you had leprosy, it meant not only had you lost your health, but you had lost your community, you had lost your friends, you had lost the loving touch of others around you because you can't touch a leper. The uh, first century historian Josephus said this about the banishment of lepers, that it in no way differs from a corpse. If you're a leper, you are the living dead. Now, what does Jesus do with this man? Uh, In verse 41, the text in front of you reads, uh, moved with pity, he touched him. Uh, If you have the NIV translation or if, if you've ever read this in the NIV, it has in this verse, Jesus was indignant, meaning Jesus was angry. And the reason for this difference, because that's a, that's a big difference, moved with pity, angry. Uh, the reason for this is that the NIV goes with, I'm going to get slightly nerdy on you for a second, a text variant from another manuscript, which I think is actually more likely to mark. I'll spare, spare you all the details. If you want to know more, we can talk later. But based off of both older manuscript evidence as well as the fact that why would a scribe change a very difficult reading of Jesus was angry to Jesus was moved with compassion? It makes much more sense that uh, I think the original would read Jesus was indignant, Jesus was angry. Okay, what does that mean? Why was Jesus angry? If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Here is this man in front of him who is, in a sense, the exact picture of what Jesus has come to deal with. The brokenness of the world right in front of him, the horrid picture of what has happened to humanity that was made in the image of God and was to be this radiant beauty, and he sees this broken man right in front of him, and Jesus is angry. And in a sense, isn't that comforting? That when Jesus looks at the suffering in the world, when he looks at the brokenness of the world, that it moves him, that he's upset about it. But what he does next is even more surprising. Verse 41 and 42, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus touches a leper. And you, not, you may not be up on your Old Testament and what's cool to do with lepers and what's not cool to do with lepers, but let me tell you, the one thing that you don't do is you don't touch them because uncleanness spreads. And so if you touch a leper, now you're unclean. And in case this feels, I don't know, foreign or, or someone in here is thinking, man, I'm so glad that we don't do these weird, clean, unclean things anymore. We do, we just don't do it in a religious, cultic sort of way. Think about uh, personal relationships. We move away from people that exhaust us, don't we? That annoy us, that are really hard to deal with. People whose lives are just really, really broken. It's hard to stay close to people like that. 
Think about it on a society level. In one sense, you could say the suburbs. And I grew up in the suburbs, so this is not a condemnation of suburbs, but we can have this nice life away from the brokenness of the world, a place where, in a sense, we try to carve out this space where we have to see as little of the broken world as possible. And what's so unique about Jesus here is look at what he's doing, because I think we understand why you would move away from brokenness, why you wouldn't want to involve yourself in uncleanness. I think we get that, but Jesus... Jesus directly involves his life with this man. And what happens is amazing because when Jesus touches someone who's unclean, the uncleanness doesn't spread to him, but cleanness spreads to, the, to that man. In a sense, Jesus has this contagious holiness that where he goes, where there's brokenness, where there's suffering, where there's all the fallenness of the world and the miseries of this life, he goes there and life comes. He invades the darkness, and the light comes on. Now look at how this passage ends. Jesus tells the man, verse 43, 44, not to tell anyone. And I think in this context it makes sense why he would say this, because we've just learned that Jesus is trying to, in a sense, avoid the crowds that would try to turn him into just a miracle worker. He's come to preach. The man disobeys Jesus. Verse 45, what's the result? Jesus is now in a desolate place. Think about what's happened. The story begins, and you have Jesus who comes to this outsider, this outcast. Jesus heals him. This man now is back in society, and who's on the outside? Jesus. Jesus has traded places with this leper, and that is what the whole Gospel of Mark is about. What has Jesus come to do? He's come to trade places with outsiders, with disgusting people, with unclean, unholy, unrighteous. So at the cross, Jesus, God's only begotten Son, the one who, in a sense, you could say, is the most insider with God, becomes an outcast, crucified outside the city, forsaken. Jesus, who is breathtakingly beautiful in his holiness at the cross, as Isaiah had predicted long ago, becomes one of whom men hide their faces. And as Isaiah said, we esteemed him not. We considered him stricken, smitten, cursed by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus trades places with us. And a Christian is someone whose life has been touched by this mercy of God in Christ. It means that you have been united to him and you are in him. And so in him you are cleansed and you are restored and you are forgiven and healed. And it also means that if you're in him and this mercy of God has touched your life, then this, too, is your mission. What are we about? What are, what are our lives to be about? You could say, uh, this might sound familiar, experiencing and extending the life-changing love of Jesus. How would we do this? Our lives are rooted in prayer. 
They're grounded in the reality of who we are, and then they're propelled outward in mission, in word and deed in the world. And so we see Jesus. He says to his disciples, I can't stay here. I can't be who you want me to be. I can't be this miracle worker. I have to go to other towns to bring this good news. And that's our mission too. So who needs to hear the good news? There's no distance that we could go that's further than the distance that Jesus went for us. The old hymn puts it this way, from heaven he came and sought you to be his holy bride. Who needs to hear the good news in your life? Someone in your neighborhood, a friend, a family member, a coworker? Maybe someone in this congregation this morning even might sense God's calling for you to leave this place and to go to some far corner of the earth that people who have no access to this good news might hear it. But what else? We see that Jesus doesn't hide himself and he doesn't close himself off to the brokenness of the world, but that he reaches out with a compassionate touch. And so we could ask, who in your life needs the compassionate touch of God? Who are the people who are the outcasts in your life or who are lonely? Who are the people whose lives have been wrecked by this broken world? and who need the outstretched hand of the body of Christ, that they would know that God cares, that Jesus is real, that God can forgive and heal. I don't know um, if any of you are familiar uh, with the story of uh, Abby Connor. Uh, she was a girl uh, 20 years old from Wisconsin. Uh, she was on vacation with her family a few years ago in Mexico and uh, uh, mysteriously and tragically drowned. When they found her body in the pool, um, she was unconscious and she had already suffered irreversible brain damage. And so they took her to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Abby was an organ donor. And so they put her on life support until her organs could be harvested. Four of, four of her organs went to save four people's lives. The recipient of Abby's heart was a man from Louisiana named uh, Lou Mouth Jack Jr. This man was 21 years old. He had a heart attack and was told that he had 10 days to live. But because he received Abby's heart, he's alive to this day. And a few months after Abby's death, her uh, father, Bill Connor, went on this biking tour to raise awareness of organ donations and the importance of being an organ donor. And after some work, he established contact with Jack Jr. And he planned to stop by and meet this guy who had his daughter's heart. Now, the question is, if you are Jack Jr., what do you give the father? What do you give the father whose daughter's heart is in you? He gave him a stethoscope so that he could hear his daughter's heart. If you are a Christian, do you realize that you are so united to Jesus that you are in him and he is in you. That is who you are. And there is nothing that brings joy to the Father's heart 
like hearing the heartbeat of his son lived out in your life. That heart is grown and enjoyed in prayer, and it is lived out in this world in mission. Let's take a moment in prayer now to uh, silently confess our sins and to ask for God's help, and then uh, in a moment I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful today that wherever we've come from, that there is a Father who loves us more than we can imagine, and that you have shown your love by sending your Son for us and for our salvation. And so we pray that you would empower us by your Spirit, that we would be convicted that we would realize the glorious grace of the, of the gospel? And would you lead us to be people who live in this world for you and for your kingdom? Would you help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news of the gospel from Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. By the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. We come now to this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, 